Turn to 1 Kings 8. We're going to be reading verses 46 through 53. This is the end of King Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. Beautiful, glorious building. It would be amazing to see a temple like that, wouldn't it? Even the second temple that really didn't compare to the first temple was enough to make people think big thoughts about how marvelous the building was. Though, in fact, it was meant to point them to God. Well, here Solomon is. He's the one who had the joy and privilege of being set apart for the work of building, though his father had desired to do it. And as he finishes his prayer, he looks, he looks forward and he looks back. He remembers the things that have already been proclaimed by God to his people. And he reminds us of those things, even as he's asking God to keep his promises. So let's read. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, 1 Kings 8, verses 46 through 53. Remember, Solomon is now praying. When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy, so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, if they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, We have sinned and have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive and pray to you toward their land which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you. And make them objects of compassion before those who have taken them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, which you have brought forth from Egypt, from the midst of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and to the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you for you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance as you spoke through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers forth from Egypt O Lord God this is the word of the Lord please be seated 
All right, you kids, did you listen to that? There was a word in there that I want to know whether you know what it means. Supplication. What does supplication mean? Yeah, Tate. What's that? Pleading. Yeah, that's a good definition. Pleading. Asking. Begging. Right? It's when you make a request. When you make a request earnestly or strongly, you're begging, right? So when is it that we make supplication? When would we, when would we have a request that was earnest? When would we make supplication? Yeah. A lot of times. What kinds of times? That's a good answer. Lots of times. Yes, zeal. What? In prayer. Yeah, that's how we make supplication. But why would we make supplication? Let's, let's think about at home. Okay? Let's say that there's cookies, and they're fresh, they're nice and warm, they're sitting on the counter, and you've been playing outside. Are you tracking with me so far? And, all right, everyone's really tracking. <laughs> and you come inside, and you smell it when, when you open the door, and you think, I need that. It smells so good because the sugar is caramelizing into the air and mm, it's delicious, right? You can just smell it. You can almost taste it, but what you really need is you really need to eat it, right? And so it's 5.30 and you're hungry, and it smells so good. And you come into the house and you come into the kitchen and there's your mom and she takes another batch of cookies right out of the oven. <clears throat> and you say, what do you say? Go ahead. Could I have one? And what is that? That is a supplication. Right? Because I know how you're going to ask. You desperately want it, right? Could I please have one? And, and mom says, no, it'll ruin your supper. Oh, but mom, please, I really want one, right? I'm suffering. I am in agony. I'm so hungry I could die. Now, is this beginning to remind you of somebody? <clears throat> somebody who was out, outside in the Bible? You think of a, a Bible story where somebody thought he was going to die if he didn't get... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was Esau, wasn't it? <clears throat> but it wasn't cookies. It was stew, wasn't it? And, and he became... Esau became a supplicant, didn't he? Because he was so hungry. Now, 
Esau was foolish, wasn't he? Because he thought that he was going to die unless he had food right then. Now, some of you think that and feel that way at times. You have no self-control and no ability to wait for food. Peter, I'm talking to you. He comes from me, so I know the feeling well. Esau was foolish, wasn't he? But he was definitely a supplicant. He was making supplication to his brother Jacob. He said, I'll do anything, anything you want, Jacob. Just give me some food. And sometimes... Sometimes it's good for us to be a supplicant, isn't it? Sometimes it's good for us to recognize our own needs, the things that we lack. So the question is whether you actually need it or whether you just really want it, like a cookie. In both ways, you can become a supplicant, right? Solomon is talking about a case where God's people turn to him and they make a request to him. They become supplicants. They make a supplication to the Lord, an earnest, deep, heartfelt request, but not for a cookie. They're facing a real trouble. They're facing being caught, trapped, held captive in a land that isn't their own. Living under people who have complete authority over them. Thinking back, remember, Solomon's remembering both the past and thinking of the future. And he's, he's remembering that they came out of Egypt where they were not just foreigners, but they were slaves in this strange land. Not the land that they had been promised. Not the promised land, but a foreign land, a strange land. And so they want to go home. They want to go back to their land. You guys know that feeling of coming home from a long trip and it's your house. Feels good, doesn't it? And it's your room and it's your dresser. You don't have to live out of a suitcase anymore. It's a wonderful feeling being home. Here, people of God, they want to go home. They are not just on a trip, though. They're captives. They're trapped. They can't leave. They've been defeated by a foreign military. So, 
we've got this problem. That's, that's when we make supplications, when we have real problems. Sometimes we think we have real problems, like, I really need a cookie. It's not really a problem. You're hungry. Yes, everybody gets hungry. I really need an iPhone. No, you you don't, actually. But all my friends have one. You've become a supplicant, haven't you? But all my friends have one. I can think of all these good reasons why it would be helpful to me. We can become supplicants about all kinds of things. And here we have a a feeling of need, right? There's feelings of needs and then there's real needs. Solomon's describing a real need, isn't he? My voice is acting funny today, so excuse me. <clears throat> so Solomon's describing when they're, when they're held captive. But how did they get there in the first place? How did they end up in a strange land, held captive? Any of you kids have any ideas how that would have happened? Wit, yeah. Mm. When Joseph was sold into slavery, yeah, that's how they that's how they ended up in Egypt. Solomon's talking about a future time though. How do you think they might end up in captivity in the future? Yeah. For for sinning, God disciplines them. That's right. So we see that in our passage right at the beginning of this section. Solomon is praying and he says, When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy. So that's how it happened, isn't it? If it became a need, it became a need because they sinned. And God gave them over to their enemies. And so they became captives. Taken away to the land of the enemy. Now, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to think about. What kinds of, what kinds of sins lead to captivity? What, what did the people, what might the people do that would lead to them being captive? Yes. Worship other gods, that's right. Okay, now here's, got to pay attention, okay? When you think you have a need. Right? You think you have a real need. Oh, I just need 
that I found. Right? I want you to ask yourself, who am I worshiping? Who am I begging? You see, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, began to worship idols. They began to worship other gods because they wanted something. I want a cookie. Mom said no. Lame. I'll go next door. Johnny's mom always gives cookies when we want them. That's what we want to do, right? I mean, feels great. Cookie whenever you want. There's a solution to your problem, right? If you just find some other mom who doesn't love you, who doesn't take care of you, who doesn't care whether you are nourished and strengthened and fed and disciplined. And see, this is the foreign gods, right? They can't hear, they can't answer. They can't save. But they can give you pleasure. Isn't this the foolishness of Esau? He gives himself to his lusts of the flesh. Simply why? Because he wants. That's it. What I want is what I want. And I want it now. Is that the way you live? Well, if it's the way you live, it is idolatry. Worship of another God, a false God. And the consequence is that God turns away from his people and allows them to be taken captive. This is what Solomon is praying about. God, when they sin against you, and who is there who doesn't sin? Nobody, right? When they sin against you, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy. Why does he just assume that? He doesn't, he doesn't pray that. Please become angry and deliver them to an enemy. Well, no, because we don't pray for that, right? Because we don't want that. But Solomon knows that's what God is going to do. He's thinking back to the past. He's thinking of the words that are written in the law. 
in Deuteronomy. You remember Moses in Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4 is long. I won't try to read all of it. But I'm going to I'm going to read some verses here and there. Okay? Now, O Israel, this is Moses speaking to all of the people, right? Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done. In the case of Baal Peor, for all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Verse 15, so watch yourself, yourselves carefully. Since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below the earth, Then he goes on, he talks about the moon and the stars and the sun. Why? What are we not supposed to worship? Everything else. It's everything. Is it possible to worship men? Yep. Is it possible to worship women? Yep. Is it possible to worship animals? Yep. Oh, no, nobody can actually worship animals. I'm telling you. More than one way to do it, too. Is it possible to worship trees? To make trees the most important thing? Why do you think we have the name Tree Hugger? If it wasn't possible, we wouldn't have them, right? Okay. Now, verse 25. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly, and make an idol in the form of anything, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger. Solomon's read this, hasn't he? I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you 
will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods. The work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. It's almost like Solomon is quoting from Deuteronomy, isn't it? He just, he knows God's word. He knows the Bible. He knows the law. And, and so as he's praying, it's just, it's just coming out. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Okay. So Solomon, he knows this is what's coming. He knows the consequences. He knows the hearts of man. He's wise. He knows how easy it is and how tempted we are to begin to worship idols. Now, he knows that God will get angry. He knows that God's discipline will be particularly captivity. And so that's why he says, when you become angry with them because they've sinned and they are taken captive, because that's what's going to happen. If is a key word in what Solomon says in several places here now. Okay? Being captive is sad. Being captive is miserable. Being captive is suffering, right? If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive. In other words, what Solomon is saying here is, if your discipline leads them to repentance, if they repent when they are disciplined, then help them, deliver them. What is Solomon not saying? He's not saying, Oh Lord, deliver them out of their captivity regardless of whether they ever care about you again. 
Father, even if they don't repent, bring them back. No, he says, if. If they take thought. If they repent. If they make supplication. If what they say is, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. If, the next verse, they return to you with all their heart. With all their heart. Not if they return to you half-heartedly. Not if they return to you in name. Not if they return to you in such a way as to have plausible deniability. If they return to you with all their heart. And, in case there was any confusion about what that means, and all their soul. Hear their prayer and their supplication. There's that word, supplication. Now, there's a temptation when we are, when we are suffering, when we are being disciplined, to harden our hearts instead of repenting and turning to God with all of our hearts. There's a temptation for us to say, I'm not going to heed this discipline. It only makes me angrier. I don't care if I deserved it or not. I don't want it. And therefore, it's not just. Because what is just is me getting what I want. I am what matters. What I want is what matters. I'm not getting what I want. And so I'm going to stiffen my neck. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to pursue what I want. This discipline won't break me. I'll suffer it. I can take it. But I'm going to do what I want. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever walked away from something that you knew was discipline? Maybe your parents, maybe from God. You knew it was discipline. You're just faced with that decision right then. Am I going to repent or am I going to continue? Am I going to confess, is my heart going to be softened and turned towards obedience? Or am I going to pursue disobedience longer? We always face that decision. Every time you're disciplined, you face that decision. Every time you sin, and there are consequences. Sometimes they're the natural consequences, right? Just the way that God has made the world. It's this beautiful thing. 
Sometimes it's supernatural consequences where God in his power with his hand begins to speak discipline into your life. And other times it's your parents. The beautiful combination of natural and supernatural. God has given you parents and he has instructed them and given them his word, that supernatural instruction to discipline you, right? And then you what? You've got to decide, am I going to listen or am I going to harden my heart? Solomon's prayer is not that the people would be restored prior to their repentance. Solomon does not pray, O Lord, when they're in captivity and they're suffering so extremely, please bring them back into the land and end their punishment so that they can repent. Now, isn't that what we so often want? If God will simply give me what I want, then I will repent. Of course, that's the opposite of repentance, right? If God's discipline leads to repentance, then God, help them, deliver them. Now, I want you all to realize that it's entirely possible to become a supplicant, to make supplication to the Lord without repentance. Okay? And that's probably the, the, the biggest temptation that we face. To not return to the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul but to know that he's the only one that can deliver us. And so to say, Lord, deliver me. Lord, please help me. Let me go home. Father, save me from this financial distress, from this trouble. Father, save my life. Make this sickness end. Father, all of the troubles in my life, any of the discipline that comes from you, I want it all to stop. You're the only one who can stop it, God. And what's missing? What does Solomon describe? He says, when they say, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. That's what's missing, isn't it? Now, now, the discipline is meant to drive you to the Lord. It is right to go to him in prayer, to become a supplicant, to say, Father, you're the only one who can save me. Father, you're the only one who can end this. You're the only one who can bring me through. I, I, I finally see, I thought I could bring myself through. I thought I can just simply work. I can provide for myself. But all the money rushes through my fingers. It's gone. 
and then I lose my job, and then I crash my car, and then, and you think, ah, God, I need God, don't I? Right? It's right. You need God. What you also need is to realize his discipline comes because of our sin. And so we, we pray to him, Father, I have sinned. Save me. Now, are there times in your life where you will say, Father, I have not sinned. Save me. Of course, yes. There are times we see them all over the place in Scripture where God's people are wickedly oppressed, not because of their sin. And Job is a great example. We see the same with King David. In the Psalms, we, we read many examples of wicked men oppressing because of our righteousness. Okay, yeah. If you are being oppressed because of your righteousness, you are still a supplicant to God, right? You turn to God. The Psalms teach us, turn to God and say, yes, God, save me. For I have not sinned, but I have been righteous and I suffer the consequences of righteousness. Glorify your name by, by saving me. What a beautiful prayer. What a wonderful thing to be able to pray instead of praying, God, I know I don't deserve your salvation. I know I don't deserve your blessing. I don't have any reason why you should help me. Because I've sinned. I'm a sinner. And all this trouble is because of my sin. I brought it on myself in the first place. Father, save me. Forgive me. Hey, you know what? That's a beautiful prayer too. Would that we could pray the first one more often. Amen? But the second one is the prayer that Solomon is talking about. The prayer that we cannot make, though, is, Oh, Father, end this discipline on me, but I ain't changing. I'm going to keep doing what I want, God, but you better stop it. You know, I'm called by your name, God. I'm one of your people. What will the nations think if you let me be destroyed, God? And yet without repentance? You know what the nations will think. The nations will think, the world will think, the unbelievers will think, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad, does it? Matter of fact, God doesn't discipline 
for sin, does he? This is why Solomon uses the word if so centrally in verse 47 and 48. A true return to the Lord while we're still in our captivity, including repentance, is when we can expect God to hear and to forgive to pour out his compassion on us, to restore us. This is, at the end of this passage, is where Solomon once again turns to the fact that we are God's chosen people, separated out from the rest of the world, made holy, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and to the supplication of your people, Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance. As you spoke through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers forth from Egypt, God keeps his promises, doesn't he? He gave them the land. They're in the land. They're living with his blessing. He's granted them complete victory over their enemies. The land flowing with milk and honey is now flowing with silver and gold as well. The wealth of the nations the wisdom of God in the center, and now the temple, the glorious temple of the Lord. I was thinking while we were singing the Ten Commandments, we got to, do any of you guys remember which number it is that talks about your parents? Your father and your mother? Yeah. No. Yeah. Five. That's right. Five. You just, you just randomly guessed, didn't you? <laughs> Five. That's right. Good answer. I know you weren't guessing. You, you know it. Five. What does it say? Honor your father and mother. Yeah. That the Lord may extend your days, that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, that sounds a little bit weird if you think about it. At least it does to me. I don't know, this morning it does to me. I'm singing the song and I'm thinking, you know, it's not obvious why that would happen. Honoring your father and mother 
doesn't naturally, automatically, in my mind, flow to then living a long time and having the land. It's not until you see it in the context of the promises of God that all of a sudden it makes sense, right? Because the command of God is honor your parents, your father and your mother. But if you don't, then he's going to take you out of the land into captivity. It's supernatural, isn't it? Honor your father and mother. And yet, it's not entirely supernatural if you think about the natural consequences that come from being an idiot, which is to say, not learning from your father and mother. They have learned, they have gone through life, they're older than you, they have experienced this world, sin, righteousness, the consequences, and they're passing it on to you. You can learn from them, or you can just try to go it your own way, right? And then what? Well, you're not going to live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Because why? Because you're not listening to them and learning from their lessons. There's not many places in life outside of the shop or the farm where danger is real, right? But you know what? Your, your father, maybe he's ridden on a tractor before. Maybe he's seen people mangled and killed by the power takeoff. It just turns real slow. It doesn't look dangerous. But it never stops. Maybe, maybe your parents have brought the saw with bad technique right up to their thumb. And they want you not to cut your thumb off. And so they teach you. You can honor them in listening to their commands with your knife. You are to cut away from yourself, not towards yourself. Right? And how many people honor their mother and their father in listening to that instruction? Isn't it a natural thing that we learn, oh, you know what, I better listen to mom and dad from that lesson when we're five or eight or whenever you're first given a knife and don't listen. And I began to think about Solomon and I thought about his son who lost most of the kingdom because he did not honor his father. And you think, well, no, he was being like his father. No, he wasn't. His father, the wise Solomon, had counselors. 
that he listened to. And those were the men that if Rehoboam were willing to listen and honor his father, he would have listened to the men his father left to counsel him. The consequences are big. They flow naturally right out of not honoring his father, don't they? And he loses most of the land. So here we are. Day in, day out. We face temptation. The desire to live according to the lusts of our flesh. To say, what I want is what I want and I want it now. which is to worship an idol. And if we do, God will bring about consequences. He will discipline. And we can thank God for that because it is because of his love that he disciplines his sons, isn't it? And then we will face the question of whether we will listen, whether we will turn, whether we will repent, whether we will soften our hearts, or whether we will continue running hard after sin. And it's just that point in time, isn't it? That one decision. Now I'm going to keep going. The disaster that unfolds from that can last a lifetime. Nevertheless, if we do finally return, if we do finally repent, he will have compassion. He will hear us no matter where we've been taken, no matter how far away we are from God, which is what being taken out of the land, out of God's land, away from the temple, God's temple, his presence, right? And that's why now here, all of a sudden, Solomon says, here in heaven. Because he hears in heaven, wherever we are, wherever we've been, whatever we've been doing. He will hear and he will have compassion if we repent and turn to him. 